Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Looking forward to diving into today's podcast on anxiety. So scale of one to anxious. How anxious do you feel right now listening to a podcast about anxiety? (laughs) For such a commonly experienced emotion, it is seldom talked about. You know, I mean, like really talked about. Because we can joke about it and maybe even in vulnerability admit it to each other. But most of the time, we are just kind of stuck in it. So the most disturbing fact that I learned while researching for this weekend's episode was only about one third of those suffering from an anxiety disorder receive treatment, even though the disorders are highly treatable. This breaks my heart. I saw this fact on almost every in every one of my books and all over said internet that it is so treatable, that anxiety is so treatable, and yet only a third of people are actually getting treated for it, which means that you don't have to keep feeling this way. So I'm starting with this fact because it's the most important one. If you hear anything else today, hear this. Anxiety is treatable, highly treatable. So don't let the overwhelming experience of it make you feel like it's invincible. Okay, I've, I've shared about depression here before, and I've kind of referred to depression as a liar and a thief. Well, anxiety is a con and a sadistic narcissist. Okay, have you guys seen the movie Mean Girls? You know what I'm saying, okay? If you haven't, you totally should. But anxiety is like Mean Girls. It's Regina George, okay? This lady, this girl, she will stop at nothing to make Katie feel terrible. She gets other people to gang up on her. She's ruthless and pretentious and self-absorbed. And she makes it her mission to destroy Katie's life. She convinces Katie that she has all the power and that there's nothing she can do about it. You guys, anxiety is Regina George. Okay? Seriously, though, if you have experienced anxiety, then you know what I'm talking about. It feels like being bullied. Like if you're listening today and and you understand what I'm talking about, or you might be listening to something to this for your children or your partner or family member, know that... Anxiety is accusatory, it's mean, it's in your face, and it's loud. So it's kind of hard to hear anything other than it. And it gets you confused and off-center, and it feels true. And so you lose all your words and all your power and accept every nasty thing it says. So anxiety is basically just a giant cluster, (laughs) okay? So our first job when it comes to anxiety is to learn to recognize its suggestions and differentiate between anxiety's suggestions and our own thoughts. Okay, I want to say that again. Our first job when it comes to anxiety is to learn to recognize its suggestions and differentiate between anxiety's suggestions and our own thoughts. Is that something Regina said or is that really what I think about myself? Okay. When we think of ourselves as anxious or as being an anxious person, 
When we personify anxiety and accept it as us, we are feeding into exactly what anxiety wants us to believe, that it is us and that we will always be this way. This is not true, okay? You are not anxiety. You are not anxious. You are Sarah or Heather or Bob, but you are definitely not anxiety, which is why we depersonify anxiety. We build a character around it, Regina, and differentiate it as something other than us. Okay, this is crucial. This part is crucial. It requires mental work to begin thinking along these lines. It's similar to how art therapy is used with cancer patients. So what therapists will do is they'll have the cancer patient like draw the monster that their cancer is and identify it as something other, other than themselves. And then they'll have the cancer patient identify themselves as the hero and dress themselves up or draw themselves as the superhero battling the bad guy. Okay, this is not just cute artwork. This is helping the patient mentally shift from being a cancer patient, a sick person, to being a hero who is defeating cancer. Okay, the first step is stepping away from the diagnosis as a personal definition or identity and putting it over there as some mean girl bully who we are gearing up to take on and change the school for good. Okay, (laughs) watch the movie. Anyway. I'm way ahead of myself and I'm totally starting at the end. So let's go through some basic clinical information about anxiety and diagnostic criteria. And then we're going to dive into your questions via Instagram. Uh, BTW, you can follow me at Elise Snipes underscore collective if you want to ask me something or answer something related to the podcast and get kind of more frequent information. So anxiety, clinically, it's a normal part of life to experience occasional anxiety. Okay. Anxiety is normal unless it becomes persistent, seemingly uncontrollable and overwhelming to the point of not being able to function. Okay. If anxiety becomes excessive, whether you have irrational dread of everyday situations, it can become disabling. When anxiety interferes with daily activities, you may have an anxiety disorder. Okay, so when anxiety interferes with daily activities, you may have an anxiety disorder. These disorders are real. They are actual medical conditions. They're just as real and as serious as a physical disorder like heart disease or diabetes. Also, this is super interesting, Anxiety disorders are the most common and pervasive mental disorders in the United States. How is that? Okay. Okay. The term anxiety disorder uh, refers to a specific psychiatric disorders that involve extreme fear or worry. Um, One of them is called general anxiety disorder, GAD. There's panic disorder, including panic attacks, agoraphobia, social anxiety disorder, selective mutism, separation anxiety, and specific phobias. In a different category, obsessive compulsive disorder, and in another category, post-traumatic stress disorder. So these are all closely related anxiety disorders, and they all experience, um, or some of them can experience a level of depression as well. The national (laughs) national prevalence data, it indicates that nearly 40 million people, which is almost 20% 
experience an anxiety disorder in a given year. Okay. What? Also, women are twice as likely to develop an anxiety disorder than men. Over 40% of American adults have experienced an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. One third of adults suffering from anxiety receive treatment. A fifth of teenagers suffering anxiety disorders receive treatment. That is, that's a killer for me too, because this is the next generation of people. And if they are getting less treatment than adults, then we're heading towards another like demographic of people that are less healthy. That's terrifying. I want to see teenagers having way more access to mental health treatment, a language, anything, right? Because the next generation of people is what's going to continue to change the, the world. <laughs> so, um, okay, anxiety attacks people of every single demographic, socioeconomic status, race, gender, spirituality, sexual orientation, age, birth order, Enneagram number, everyone, okay? It doesn't discriminate. Also, when someone is experiencing anxiety, it feels real. Okay, therefore, it's not an experience that they're creating. Okay, it, this does not make them crazy. It makes them the target of mental bullying. It makes them vulnerable and insecure and lonely and frustrated and tired and irritable and feeling defeated. But it does not make them crazy or beyond repair. Okay, so I'm about to go into my top fives. Top five favorite things to not say to someone experiencing anxiety, and then the actual top five things that we can say. Okay, for my not to say, <laughs> numero uno, what not to say to somebody experiencing anxiety? It's all in your head. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Thanks for that. Okay. Two, it's not real. Cool. Tell that to my racing heart and sweaty palms. Three, you're making this a bigger deal than it really needs to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, feeling like I'm going to die feels like a pretty big deal to me. Four, why do you do this to yourself? Mm -hmm. Right. So if I was doing this to myself, then I would just like undo it to myself right now rather than laying on the floor crying. And five, my all-time favorite, relax. Oh, right. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't. Why didn't I think of that myself? I'm better now. <laughs> and the things that we can actually say. If you or someone else is fighting anxiety, top five. Number one, this is real. Two, I believe you. I believe you. Three, can I sit here with you? Four, anxiety sucks. Five, it's not your fault. Okay, there. those are all words. Those are all phrases you can try on for size. This is real. I believe you. Can I sit here with you? Anxiety sucks and it's not your fault. Let me also say there's a difference between talking to someone who has been battling with anxiety and someone who is in an acute anxiety attack in that moment. Your job is not to cure that person or yourself. It is just to be a safe presence which ironically is sometimes a cure in and of itself. It is always more effective to talk about, think about, and care for anxiety before you are having an active episode or, all, or after, okay? In the middle of an anxiety attack, we are not able to think rationally, use rational information, okay? 
as anxiety like gets louder and ruder and more controlling, you get more flooded, more pushed off center. You're, you'll forget all the cool tricks you learned about prevention. So the point is the only thing that when you're having that anxiety attack, typically you're just going to continue feeling anxious. So we're going to get into treatment at the end of this, but I'm going to look at some of your questions from Instagram real quick. Does it get worse with age? Uh, absolutely, it can. So because anxiety can get, um, so your, your brain chemistry, because anxiety is, it can be a biological condition, it be, can affect your neurotransmitter sites where they are more patterned to receive and or look for anxious connections. Um, also, we are creatures of habit. So we can, as we get, as we age, we become even more so deeply entrenched in our specific behavioral patterns. And so if you are in an anxious track, you might find yourself less flexible and able to shift to a less anxious track. Um, also, hormonal changes. There's some massive hormonal changes that take place later in life. And also, how about life transitions? Like if you're empty nesting or your career is changing, there are end-of-life existential crises. Um, yeah, any of that. All of these factors compound and they feel worse with age. Um, sometimes I'll hear people's monologues say things like, I should know better by now, or I don't have, I don't really have anything to be anxious about. Why do I feel so bad? And they can use their age against them. So reminder, yes, if you feel like your anxiety is getting worse with age, don't disqualify yourself from pursuing the help or treatment that you need just because you feel like you should have a handle on it by now. Okay. Bottom line, anxiety is still highly treatable regardless of your age. Another question, what is the difference between anxiety and stress? Good, this is good. Okay, re again, remember, our emotions, all of them, are not the enemy, okay? They are communication from our body, brain, spirit. It's a message per that is um, communicating to us that we need to respond in some way. So if we feel stress or anxiety, that is a cue, a sign, a symptom, an alarm bell saying, there's too much on my plate right now. I don't like this environment. Um, it's not a problem until it becomes an impairment. So let's talk about the direct difference between anxiety and stress is impairment. With stress, you can often continue working, you can continue functioning, you can do your thing. But in anxiety, okay, as far as diagnosis goes, there has to be some type of functional impairment where stress is actually one of the symptoms. Okay, but it just it has to like it has to debilitate you. So stress can have physical uh, manifestations that turn into anxiety. But really, I do I want people to think about their emotions, specifically stress, as a message from our body, brain, and self to make some changes so that it does not escalate into full blown anxiety. Um, when do you know if you need to be medicated? Uh, this question is full of stigma and qualifications <laughs> and complications, um, but good. I'm glad that we're going to target this here. I am pro-medication as it is needed because it actually helps people. If I think if our medications were not labeled antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, we would have less feelings about the medication and what that says about us. So if you have this cluster of anxiety, you have all these symptoms and your doctor says, oh, cool, I've got like these peace pills. Do you want those? Yeah, that sounds great. Like we're so much more apt to take melatonin 
for a sleep disorder than we are like than we are a different medication. Why? Like that. I mean, you're gonna have your own answer to that. But beware of the stigma of medication or diagnosis or mental health or mental illness. And if that is keeping you from getting the help that you need, you need to flush some of that stuff out so that you it doesn't complicate you clearing the way for yourself to live healthier. Okay. Um, when do you know if you need to be medicated? I'm going to answer this specifically, not for all therapists, for all people, for always. It really is up to the person. In my practice, I try to offer the least invasive measure first, which is to provide education, empowerment, and behavioral therapy. I want to lay a foundation for change. I would be curious to see if they're open to EMDR. We would do whatever we needed to before we introduced a medication if we could. Okay, and I'm saying if because there are some cases when that's just not possible. It's when we have to onboard medication in order for any of the work to actually stick or make a difference because the brain is just sunk or needs a boost or a jolt. Okay, best practices, evidence-based practice says that both is best, both medication and behavioral therapy. Okay, then proceed at like tapering as the brain heals and the behavioral techniques are in place and the person is able to actually practice them. So to come back to your question, you know you need to be medicated when nothing else is working and when you are still experiencing functional impairment or a level of anxiety that is impeding your relationships in life. Okay, you can always talk to your primary doctor, a therapist, a psychiatrist, your OB, anyone that is licensed to be screened. How can I manage my snappiness towards others when I am feeling anxious? Take some time to care for yourself. Okay, I want you to remember anxiety wants to bully you into constant motion and to keep going. So you need to do the opposite by taking care of yourself, seeing what you need in order to reduce those symptoms. You'll automatically feel less snappy if you have cared for yourself. Also, I need you to see snappiness is a symptom of the anxiety rather than something to beat yourself up about. Okay. How can I cope with health anxiety? Health anxiety, um, also hypochondria. I would say that it actually kind of depends if you have had some health issues. If you have had a chronic medical condition, then health anxiety will often accompany that. Um, or if you've had a loved one encounters some health problems than to have health anxiety because it's stemming from an actual event, then I would consider EMDR because you're having memory attached to the anxiety. If not, if you are having health anxiety that is not stemming from an, an event, then tip then CBT or prolonged exposure, reality therapy, strong thought life like regimen, all of that will also help you with health anxiety. Um, when I think about health anxiety, I don't want you to have to cope with it. I want you to be able to be free from it. Okay. Remember, anxiety disorders are highly treatable. Our brain wants to think in a certain way, route, pattern. Right now, the one that it has is health anxiety. So there needs to be an alternative track for your brain to run on. I am... I go pretty hard into that on the Feel Better workshop. Um, so that might be something to check out as well. That's coming this month. Um, okay, how do you deal with someone who won't address their anxiety? 
Okay, so my question is won't or can't. So do they know that it's a problem or how serious it is? Do they have the resources, including time, to take care of it? What's their hesitance or stubbornness with not addressing it? Like, is it straight denial? Are they anti-medication? Is their religion a factor? Okay, because some faith practices minimize psychological conditions and they make it all a spiritual problem. That is like absolutely more information for another podcast episode. But if they won't address it, then you need to have some boundaries so that it either doesn't affect you as much or your boundaries nudge them towards getting the help they need. If they can't address it, different ballgame. Also, depending on how close your relationship is with this person, take care of yourself. Model healthy self-care. Be careful not to get sucked into shared anxiety, okay? This is like when you're now obsessing about their anxious behaviors, right? We can often enter into a symbiotic relationship if that partnership or that relationship with anxiety is in the house. Uh, Provide them with the facts. This is real. This is treatable. You need to get help and I can help you do that. But something has to get better, okay? That would, that is exactly what I would say and how I would um, talk about that. Okay, what causes anxiety? I've always felt for me it was hormones. Not sure if that's true. Uh, That can be true for sure. There are multiple sources for anxiety and hormones do play a role in this. So the main sources for anxiety, they can be like, so biology or genetics. You can be genetically predisposed to have anxiety disorders or depressive disorders Um, or any other form of mental health diagnosis, Um, environmental stressors, trauma. So nature and nurture are both at play here. When we have events in our life, things that have happened, it shifts the way that we perceive ourselves, others in the world. We, We then begin to build specific core beliefs that either are going towards anxiety or towards health. So examining and working with your core beliefs is a really imperative part. Most of the time we don't evaluate our thoughts, we are held captive by our thoughts, okay? So think about it like, like this, when you have like a negative monologue going in your in your head, like think of, okay, I'm just gonna put this one out there. You're looking, if you're a female, male, whatever, looking in the mirror, and like, oh, I'm so ugly, oh, I'm so fat, oh, I hate this part of my body, oh, this, oh, that. It's, it probably follows a pretty similar route in the similar uh, language form and probably the same words you use each time. It's not like you're, um, it's not new. <laughs> your, your brain's looking at an old thing the way that it always has. It's similar with anxiety where you see something that's a trigger and it sets off a domino effect of, oh, now I'm anxious about that. And now I'm anxious about that. Oh, now I'm anxious about that. And we don't typically evaluate it, right, as a suggestion from from anxiety. We think that that's our thought, and now I'm anxious. But remember, if our first step is taking a step away from personifying these anxious beliefs or thoughts, then we can start to say, wait a second, is that true or is that a suggestion? Okay, wait, hold the phone. (laughs) Like, is that, where's the evidence for that? So we start to build some discrepancy. Um... I, I, yeah, it's hard to like to cover all of that here. I will be covering that in like an hour's worth of content on the first Feel Better workshop. So that would be another place to dive in pretty deep if you're looking for like more of a clinical approach lesson solution. So anyway, um, also if you have had chronic life stress, 
if you are a part of a certain demographic, you're at a greater risk for anxiety. Um, if you are experiencing sleep disturbances, um, your behaviors can also significantly impact your risk of anxiety. If you use excessive tobacco, caffeine, early childhood experiences, uh, parenting styles, if your parents were divorced, any parent who had any addiction in the home, I don't even remember what the original question was. <laughs> okay, what causes it? Pretty much everything. So I feel like almost anxious <laughs> listing all the things that are that anxiety can cause because it's everything. So point is, everything can cause anxiety. So regard now that we know that, it's almost like moot point. I need to do something about it. I need to be aware. I need to practice self-care. I need a healthy lifestyle. And I need to not overcomplicate this. What's the difference between anxiety and depression? It sounds obvious, but I feel like there's a fine line. Yes, 100%. I am so glad that someone asked this. It's not obvious at all. Most people think, oh, if I have depression, then I don't have anxiety. They are often linked and often show up together. It can kind of be a chicken or the egg situation too. Like, I feel anxious. Then I withdraw. Then I feel alone. Now I'm sad. Okay, so this can become a routine where now anxiety triggers depression. This is just, again, one example of how they can set each other off, but they do often show up together. So if you feel like you might have one, I would absolutely get screened for the other. Um, the Some basic differences between anxiety and depression. Um, anxiety diagnostically, as far as the criteria re required for an anxiety disorder diagnosis, they have to have the presence of excessive anxiety and worry about a variety of topics, events, or activities. So if I'm only worried about snakes, then I have a specific phobia. But if I am worried about snakes and lions and tigers and bears and beyond animals and also places and people and what others think of me and if I'm doing a good enough job and falling asleep at night and if that food's going to make me sick, right? Like a variety of topic events and activities. Um, and that the worry occurs more often than not for at least six months and is clearly excessive. Okay? The worry is experienced as challenging to control. Um, also, the worry in both adults and children may easily shift from one topic to another. So that there's like plasticity in the way that they can go from anxious about this to now I'm anxious about that. And oh my gosh, I didn't even know I needed to be anxious about that. And now I am. Um, the anxiety and worry are accompanied with at least three of the following physical or cognitive symptoms. Edginess, right? So like that person who was like afraid of being snappy. It's like that's a symptom, not a problem. Edginess or restlessness. Tiring easily, like being more fatigued than usual. Impaired concentration, feeling as if your mind goes blank. Irritability, which is not always observable to others. So you might just be irritable within yourself. Um, increased muscle aches or soreness, and difficulty sleeping. Also, if you're listening to that and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm anxious, um, this is why it's important to talk to a licensed practitioner about these things because a majority of people will experience some of these symptoms, but there are um, um, contributing or related factors that allow for an actual diagnosis to be made, okay? Criteria for depression, some of the other, the biggies that di differentiate anxiety from depression include one of, some of these symptoms, depressed mood, diminished loss of interest or pleasure in almost all activities, significant weight or appetite disturbance, sleep disturbance, 
psychomotor agitation or retardation, which is like either my movement is speeding up or slowing down. Like someone who's like constantly jostling or someone where you're like, whoa, like you with me? Uh, loss of energy or fatigue, feelings of worthlessness, diminished ability to think, concentrate, and make decisions, recurring thoughts of death, dying, or suicide, long-standing interpersonal rejection ideation, i.e. others would be better off without me, specific suicide plan and or suicide attempt. Okay. Again, if you just listen to me read these and you're like, awesome, I also have anxiety and depression, then welcome to what grad school was like, where you are sure you have all of the things and or everyone around you also has all those things. So just because you have had some of these symptoms or even all of these symptoms, that does not mean you necessarily have this specific disorder. These are the criteria for generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. There are many types of anxiety disorders and depressive disorders. Okay, You can also have a depressive episode without having chronic long-term depression. You can have an, a singular acute anxiety attack without that becoming chronic anxiety. So I do not want this episode to like send you into a tailspin. This is why it is important to work through your symptoms with an actual therapist, not Google or your friend or your magic eight ball. Okay. Bottom line, both of these experiences are treatable. So even if you're like, well, dang, I guess I do have some depression or I do have some anxiety. No problem. Let's solve that. The most important thing to remember, all of this is solvable. Okay. Can anxiety come and go throughout your life? Yes, it often does. Not for everyone. Some people experience chronic symptoms with little reprieve, where others experience it periodically or situationally. Um, is diet and exercise enough to keep it at bay? I would say it depends on how severe the case is. So for some people, yes. Unless your anxiety is making you feel like you have to work out or you're going to be anxious. Right? Like there's a difference between diet and exercise as a practice of freedom and self-care rather than a command or a have to or I should and if I don't then I'm bad right like diet and exercise are almost always prescribed for people with anxiety and depression because it requires to you to kind of be functional and make change and be motivated and it has like automatic um you automatically feel better but it cannot be some be something that you use um, to punish yourself how much anxiety is normal God, how much is anxiety is normal? I think that's different for everyone. So depending on how bad you want to feel. So some people, especially like executives or high like women in business, um, entrepreneurs, people will tolerate high levels of anxiety and feel like they need their anxiety, like to stay on top or to stay sharp or to stay productive. Um, similarly, right, artists often feel like they need their depression to be creative, right? Either way, um, it is a good conversation to have with a therapist. There are standardized assessments you can take to measure your scores, life impairment, functionality, and you can find out how much is normal for you. Does anxiety feel the same for everyone? Okay, so yes, because some symptoms have to be there for diagnosis. So the short answer, yeah. Enough people feel the same way that doctors can recognize, organize these feelings into diagnostic criteria. But while I think anxiety can feel similar for everyone, it does not sound the same for everyone, right? Because again, anxiety is that bully who's accusing you 
So the content's going to be different for different people. You might feel the fluttery feeling. You might have sweaty palms. Your heart might be racing. Your head might be swirling. But the content, the thoughts that might be in there, the suggestions that are in there might look different for other people. Okay, what if I see it in my kids? Again, guys, the future, um, what can you do? Don't just wait for it to get better or wait for them to grow out of it. Any time a child brings something forward, a thought of suicidal ideation, um, something going on with their food or diet, their body, we don't just snuff it or say, oh yeah, well, we'll figure that out or I'll wait till your dad gets home or you know the other things. We always want our children to feel safe enough bringing something forward, even if it's extremely awkward, because we want them to know there's an open line of communication that if they suggest it, even if they're faking it, even if they're faking it, that they know the response is, we treat that immediately. We get help right away. We don't just let that fester, okay? Talk to your pediatrician um, or a child therapist, but their brain is developing and we don't want their brain to grow in an anxious environment because that will and can create long-term chronic anxious symptoms. Um, the earlier the intervention, the better. This is for all the things. Learn what to do as a parent and practice it in the house, okay? I'm gonna have a parent component um, in the anxious, the, or the Feel Better workshop that covers anxiety because I think the more equipped we are as parents, then there are things that we can automatically start creating in our household that our children will benefit from without ever having to go to therapy. How cool is that? Um, will I always have it? Nope. Anxiety is highly treatable. You will not always have it. Nervous and anxiety, are they the same thing? So nervous can be a symptom of anxiety. Nervous can be a lighter form like some kid's sister. It kind of depends on the situation and the pattern, right? Like, am I nervous in large crowds or do I have social anxiety? I would say that that would be a matter of extremity. How do I help a loved one at the moment of an anxiety attack? At the exact moment, it's just to make them feel safe. You can look back at some of the top things I mentioned before. Once the attack is over, though, that's when you think about solution and treatment. But in the moment, you just want to help it resolve and stay safe and help and just be with them. When someone is flooded in an anxiety attack, they cannot always hear reason or solution. So it would be like, like yelling at them in Chinese while they're telling you they're panicking. It's okay to say, hey, let's, okay, um, do, would it be helpful if I sat here with you? Would it be helpful if we went for a walk? Can I get you a glass of water? Um, is there anything that I can do? Is there anything that you know that helps you feel better? So stay with them. Um, why do I always feel the worst, but it never happens? Um, anxiety, right? This is exactly what anxiety wants you to keep perseverating on. You're fearing the worst, but it never happens is exactly the definition of anxiety. So please seek solution or support for that, that experience. What do I do if I have ongoing anxiety? Know that ongoing anxiety is also treatment, um, also treatable. You can get treatment for that. Uh, mine shows up through irritability. How do we minimize that? My poor family suffers because of my behavior. Okay, sister, flip it around. Your anxiety does not show itself through irritability. Rather, irritability is a sign you are anxious. So then you have compassion on yourself and you take care of it. You don't shame yourself with a symptom. Okay, you guys, there are so many incredible questions. One's 
so many that I did not get to. Um, I will absolutely work to make sure I cover all of these in the workshop. If you want to know when these workshops are available, you can go to my website and get signed up to receive a notification. It's the Feel Better Workshop. Will Okay, so there's going to be a bunch of topics available for you to take wherever you are. They're web-based wellness workshops. They're about an hour long with a ridiculous amount of information and practical application. Anyways, yes, all the yeses to feeling better and getting out of the cycles that keep us stuck or less than. If you were here with me today in the trailer, I would break our social anxiety or general anxiety from listening to this entire episode And I would just want you to feel more comfortable. I'd want you to know that feeling anxious is normal, um, but not so normal that you have to stay stuck in it forever. I would try to nudge you a little closer to what was going on underneath the surface of our social fronts or deflections. I would wonder if you have been experiencing anxiety alone, if you're open about it or if you hide it or compensate for it. I would wonder how long you have suffered with this Or if you are carrying the weight for someone you love who is stuck in their own anxiety cycle. And then we would talk all the things and cry all the things and let it all out because we know that anxiety, that sneaky little bee, wants to keep you stuck, keep you silent, keep you ashamed. So we would confront it together. Show it who's boss, right? Okay. Be brave this week. And feel free to get in touch with me if you are looking for someone to personally walk you through some of these treatment ideas, if you want to understand more about the specific form of anxiety that you have or someone that you know has. I am organizing a group practice with other like-minded therapists who are fully equipped and incredibly awesome. Also, the Feel Better Workshop, which is coming out this month, will focus on practical solutions for anxiety and other feeling states. You can check all of that out on my website, elisesnipes.com, or follow along on social media, elisesnipes underscore collective. As always, be blessed, be full, be wild, be true, be you in complete freedom and peace. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you are interested in beginning your own work in therapy or coaching, you can go to www.elisesnipes.com. Follow me on Instagram at Elise Snipes Collective, where I will be sharing more with you throughout the week. You can get in touch with me to suggest a topic for the show or to ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered. Or just say hi by emailing me at elise at elisesnipes.com. Remember to subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends.